Hello, hello, and welcome again to a Beatles program, a weekly podcast show, which is called Things We Said Today. This is a program that takes a look at any aspect of the Beatles' careers, their music, their history, the past, present, sometimes even the future. I'm Ken Michaels. I'm one of the three regular co-hosts of this show, and hopefully you know me from my other Beatles program. It's a weekly syndicated show called Every Little Thing. Or you might know me from my website, KenMichaelsRadio.com. And I'm being joined by my two other regulars, the leading man when it comes to Beatle news on the internet. And he also writes for Billboard, Variety, Access.com, a whole bunch of publications. And that's Steve Marinucci. Hi, Steve. Hi, Ken. Hello, everyone. Also, we have the man who at one time worked in the classical department for the New York Times and has written a couple of Beatle books. Got that something? How the Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand, Changed Everything. And he's, also, a classic, he's a classic himself. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> so much so that I don't need to say any more about him, right? Right. Hello, and that's everyone. our own Alan Cozen. You don't even need to, you know his name anyway. Look up the number. Yeah, I was just about there, to say <laughs> There we go. Hello, Ken. On, Hello, Steve. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> On today's show, we are going to be welcoming a very special guest from Liverpool. And I'm not talking about Liverpool, New York. I'm talking about Liverpool, England. And we're going to be talking with him in just a few moments, leave you all in suspense. But before we do that, we have a whole bunch of news items to get to. And as you've known for the last couple of weeks there's a lot that's been going on and certainly most of the attention has been going to paul mccartney who has just released two new songs one is called i don't know the other is called come on to me it's part of a, a double-sided hit it's a double a side they're saying and um this is from the forthcoming album which is called egypt station which is due out september the 7th and um we're also going to be talking a bit about Paul's appearance on James Corden's show. But first, before we do that, I want to get uh, Steve and Alan's takes on those two songs and what they think of them. We'll start with uh, Steve. How do you feel about... Let's start with I Don't Know. I Don't Know uh, is a, a somber ballad. And if you listen to the words, well, you can either take... You can either take them two ways you kind of can brush them off and think they don't mean anything or you can take them a little seriously and think paul is like spilling his gut um and i i honestly don't know um i mean it it really to listen to those words it kind of makes you think a lot i mean i like i like the song i do like the song um but those words I, i don't know it's maybe I'm taking it too seriously. I mean, you know, did I t- did I take yesterday too seriously? No, you know. So, but uh, it is interesting that uh, the way that the lyrics go on that. So, mm-hmm. um, but I like the melody. I mean, I think it's a I think it's a good song. Okay, Alan. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's I, I kind of like that one um, better of the two, and um, to me, it's a little bit sort of "Son of Beautiful Night" musically, um, huh. and but you know, I, I think there's a lot going on in the music of that one, much more than is going on in the other. And uh, one thing that struck me on the first listen was the sort of um, subtlety of Paul's piano playing. 
Um, yes. It's something that, uh, you know, I mean, he's he's never been a bad pianist or anything. It's just that, um, and this wasn't like, you know, virtuoso all over the place piano, but there was a lot of, you know, gradation of volume and tone and different things. And I, I, it's it's a small thing, but I, I found that kind of impressive, you know, just to, to hear um, the way he was shaping the sound there. But... Yeah, I think that's. I think it's a pretty nice song, and uh, you know, if there's if there's more of that on the album, I mean, I guess we'll see. We 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 have no idea what the rest is going to be like. So, yeah, I I did kind of like that one a bit more. And the, and oh. the thing the thing to remember is, like he said, it's going to be a a concept album. Although he doesn't want to use the word concept album, but how those two songs fit into the concept is going to be you know something we'll eventually find out but that part is is you know something that needs to be remembered yeah i know for me it's actually taking me quite a while to warm up to the song Hmm. which rarely ever happens with a mccartney song for me i do love that introduction on the piano like you said alan it's got a real warmth and i don't know if it's maybe echo applied to it but it's got a unique sound to it and um, it kind of reminds me, that piano intro reminds me more of a song like Same Love, which was a great bonus track from the uh, Flaming Pie period. It actually was recorded in the late 80s, but it was a bonus track on one of the Flaming Pie singles. I love the piano playing on that, how that starts. And it's a very long intro <laughs> for Paul before the vo- vocals come in, which is rare. But what struck me most about this song are the lyrics because it's all about the uncertainty of life and uh, just realizing as you get older that life is not easy. And, you know, a lot of the, uh, the things he says in here, it's kind of like you're, you're coming to grips with how tough life is as you're getting, well, I don't want to say near the end. But, um, you know, lyrics like, um, I see trouble at every turn. I've got so many lessons to learn. What am I doing wrong? I don't know. Very sensitive lyrics. And to start with, I got crows at my window, dogs at my door. I don't think I can take anymore. What am I doing wrong? You know, this is a guy who most of the time is known for being so positive. So to do a song like this and to make it a single, it's kind of unique for him. It's it's a nice song. I still the, the melody still hasn't gripped me yet. And that's always been, to me, his greatest strength of all. You know, I always loved his melodies. And this is someone who, when it comes to ballads, is a master at it. There aren't many who are better at it than than Paul. But still, I I need more listens for me to really fully appreciate this song. See, I I think that the melody and the words work together very well. And that's Mm. surprising for me because I don't normally take to to his songs like that. But this one, I, I think, I don't know works really well as far as that goes but the the question for me is you know what's he doing here and also and also the fact that on a marketing uh with a marketing strategy strategy and calling this a double a side single he's obviously trying to make sure people don't forget one or the other he he's looking for attention for both of them which which is inter- which is an interesting thing to do since you brought uh, that up um, mm-hmm. marketing strategy I, I i'm not sure what was going on there i mean uh the day that it it, it was announced the day before the release as a double a-sided single 
And Mm -hmm. then the next day, everyone woke up and started looking for it. And it wasn't at Amazon. It wasn't on iTunes. I went to a physical record store and it wasn't there. I went to a physical record store the day before and nobody, they hadn't heard about it. They had no (laughs) knowledge. Although, you know, they also said that they weren't getting a lot of stuff in lately. This is not a high volume record store. So how can you have a double A-sided single with no actual sides? Well, uh, I mean, no, I agree with you. And and like I said uh, online a couple of times when people asked me, I said, I'm guessing this is just going to be at least initially digital. And that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a weird – I mean, I think everybody heard the double A-side single and and expected – I mean, and that's obvious from what you just said. Yeah, they expected vinyl. And and that's obviously what they didn't do. Uh, But – the whole issue is, you know, he put these two songs out to as an A-sided single because, like Strawberry Fields and, and Penny Lane, they wanted attention for both of them. So uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting strategy. I don't know. I, I've never. I, I'm not familiar with anybody else doing that. I'm sure somebody else may very well have done it, but I don't. I, it's it's a first for me for hearing somebody else do that. It's a first for him. I mean, he hasn't done that before. Uh, so, hmm. well, I also think that it's kind of strange that the single's coming out now and the album's not coming out until September seventh. Somebody else, again, somebody maybe else, maybe because he's going to tour then. Yeah, and think. they've got billboards for it and everything. Was someone posted a billboard, a huge outdoor billboard for the album on? They've Facebook got a cap morning. Capitol Records has a has a big display too. Apparently, yeah, down know, in September is in some time. I mean, you know, it's kind of weird. I have a feeling that the strategy, if there is one, uh, may be that you know they're, they're doing all the promotion now so that there's a clamor and they can say that they're releasing it early because of the clamor. <laughs> that would be that's that that makes kind of makes sense in pretty I mean, much the same way that like if we see a single a vinyl single they they can say you know for the same reason because there was such demand for it in fact i spoke to a guy who runs the record store i went to and at first mm-hmm. they looked it up and they said no it's streaming only and then i spoke to him and he said yeah i've been in contact with the label and they say that um, there will be a physical release, but they don't know when. I'm hearing I'm, uh, the word that's going around, and I haven't heard anything officially, but the word going around is July for that. But okay. nobody's. But well, that's, that's just. Four that's days. just July. But, well, I mean, it's not. It's not. You know, it's well, not it four days. July. It might be <laughs> middle of July. But you know. But yeah, I mean, that's what that's what I'm hearing is. Or that's what that's what people are saying. Let me put it that way. I'm not hearing that as from directly from anybody, and I certainly wouldn't put uh, stock in what somebody on Facebook tells me. Uh, no, no offense, but um, I'm mean, not hearing it any, any sense official. to sort of capitalize in terms of sales and stuff on you know the excitement of a new newly announced thing and have it out there for people to buy. When you announce right. that it will be available, it's kind of right. weird. It's just, right? Yeah, it yeah. it was strange to you know to ask around and not have anybody know what the hell you were talking about. <laughs> it was really it was really weird. So maybe they're hoping that the two songs do very well and it creates a strong enough demand that by the time September comes, people will be hungry for it. Mm-hmm. 
Maybe, yeah, maybe. maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and then you know, when it, the, the guy at the counter, when I first went in, is you know, looked up on his computer and he's saying, "No, we, I don't see anything." Well, is it new? And I said, "No, news old." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, was never, that was never a good title for an album. You know? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Anyway, the other song, "Come On to Me," which we've briefly discussed. What do you guys think about that song? Now that we've heard it in its entirety, mm-hmm. Steve, I like that song a lot. I I, I do. I like it a lot. I, I prefer it over uh, over. I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I I do like it, and I'm glad that we actually have a decent sounding mix of it now, as opposed to what they had before. But uh, uh, because of the the live gig, but yeah, I like it. I think I I think it's really good. I the the words are kind of funny. If you listen to the words, here's Paul McCartney at, at you know what seventy whatever and talking about uh, picking up somebody at a party. I mean that, <laughs> that's that's funny. I I I would have loved to have seen Nancy's face when he when when he ran those lyrics by her. But <laughs> how do we but, know it's uh, not about her? That's true. That's true. We we do not. We do not. But in any event, uh, I, I really like the the second song. And again, the the thing is that you have to keep in mind that this is, you know, sort of a concept album, and where all these how that song is going to fit in the whole concept is something we don't know, and that's going to be interesting to hear. So, anyway. Hmm. Alan, how about you? Yeah, I don't have an awful lot to say about it. It's, um, you know, it's pretty simple musically. Um, it, I think the lyric uh, and the music together are have kind of a nice little arch quality in a way. You know, it's a, it's a little bit, I think, tongue-in-cheek. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's about what it's about, we, which mm-hmm. Steve already described. But, um, you know, and it's it's it's... It's okay. I mean, I I don't hate it. Um, I think I like the version better that he sang in the car with James Corden <laughs> on, on Carpool Karaoke. That, oh, really? Yeah. That seemed to be, you know, they seemed to be having fun with it, even though they only did a, a short snippet. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, obviously, um, this song, of all the new stuff he's got, must mean something to him, you know, more than maybe some of the others because he played it live at, at the Philharmonic pub. He sang it in carpool karaoke and, you know, and here it is one of the, uh, two double A two A sides of this single. So, um, obviously he feels close to it and, you know, that's sort of interesting. Yeah. It works very well when people are singing along with it. Yeah. Right. You know, like, like Paul and James, yeah. So speaking of James, how about the appearance on James' show, which was a combination of a lot of things, the carpool karaoke, Paul giving a tour, going to Penny Lane, going to Forthland Road, and then doing the concert at the uh, the Liverpool Philharmonic Pub. What did you guys think of the whole thing? It was it ran like about twenty three minutes. Yeah, it was it was cl- it was close to thirty actually. Really? Okay. Yeah, I I thought it was great. I mean, I I'm. You know, it was great to see Paul in Liverpool. I think the the most charming part was, um, you know, him 
interacting with the fans and the you know outside at Fourthland Road, that was uh, I could not believe. I was told when the day it happened that he had not been in the house since you know for for decades, and I had trouble believing that. But apparent, but it was true, and it was and he had in fact talked about talked about that on the BBC interview, and he said that was actually a difficult decision to go in, which is interesting in itself. But uh, to see him in there, and he played uh, when I'm 64, and to you know to see him uh, talk about that stuff, and to go going around Penny Lane, I thought was cute because he surprised people, and you know it's like all of a sudden you open the door and there's Paul McCartney. It's like oh my god, you know I mean that was that was cool, and then the people at the Philharmonic rushing you know outside and rushing in and on the street and everything. I think I thought that was nice. Uh, I thought the whole thing was very nicely put together and i thought it was a, whoever's idea that was you know deserves a lot of credit that was a, a great idea i don't think i don't know i had seen a couple of a couple of the other segments uh, the stevie wonder one that he did with Corden did was was really kind of funny um mm. but um um i don't think he's ever going to beat this one this was this was a killer this was this had some really nice funny touches too like when they're in the pub uh and the first couple of songs you know they have the person put the money in the jukebox and then the <laughs> curtain opens and then the curtain closes and then the curtain opens <laughs> for the next one i thought that was really kind of funny mm-hmm. I, I thought the the whole clip was just great and I think an awful lot of people thought that too, um, because if you if you look on Facebook, I mean, not that it's necessarily the barometer of humanity, but I know an awful lot of people on Facebook whose interest in the Beatles is very, very peripheral, and they posted the clip. So it <laughs> obviously, you know, hit people as you know particularly charming in in a, a way that you know standard interviews don't and standard tv appearances don't you know it just had so much going for it you know the 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 carpool karaoke thing the, you know singing those songs which was you know were were done in a funny way a, a lot of the time and uh the tour and the performance it it, it kind of had everything in a you know I'd say short clip, but is you know, yeah, it's close to half an hour. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I've watched it a, a bunch of times now. Seventeen million views as of the, uh, of this morning, which is the twenty sixth. Mm-hmm. Seventeen million views. That's pretty good. And this has proven to be a brilliant move on mm-hmm. Paul's part because, as we're going to talk about in a few moments, so many songs and albums are now on iTunes. Because mm-hmm. of this appearance on James Corden's show, um, right. I have to tell you that the carpool karaoke thing. When I found out Paul was going to do that, I was almost kind of rolling my eyes because I was just I was just so tired of this particular sketch. I think it had been done many times already, and it was cute in the beginning for me. And I know he's done it with like Stevie Wonder, like you said, or Rod Stewart, Justin Timberlake. I wasn't really looking forward to that part, but I was. <sighs> Very entertained by it, but it was also, there was more to it than just the two of them singing Beatles songs together. And there was that one moment when Paul's telling the story about Let It Be and how how the song came to him from his mother's telling him to let it be in a dream. And then uh, James said to Paul that 
his grandfather was a musician and um his father uh he his father and grandfather played the song let it be for him and said this is the greatest song you're ever going to hear and um the grandfather said to james oh i think no james said the grandfather would would have been so thrilled to know that this happened he would have loved to have been here and paul said to him well he is here and yeah. James was James was in tears, you know, because of that mm-hmm. it really affected him because of his memory of Let It Be, and there was a few seconds of silence after Paul said that, and that was really moving, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. That really got to me. Um, I wasn't <laughs> expecting that in the sketch. Mm-hmm. It was like a heavy moment there. Yeah. Um, but uh, I love the whole uh, Fourthland Road bit, and I just don't know if. The way that it was presented, and you saw all those old family photos, the the um, Mike McCartney photos that were on the wall there, the childhood ones of Paul and Michael, and all. is that the way it is now? Was it has it been kept that way all these years? And is that the way it was originally? And you know, I was thinking, you know, have they preserved that house exactly as it was? I could check with some people in Liverpool, but I believe it has. I believe I don't think they changed anything for that. I believe that's how it looks. Well, they restored yeah. it. I mean, other people have owned it in between, so they they restored it to what it was when the McCartneys lived there. Right. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was cool when Paul entered the bathroom, <laughs> you know, and he started to sing in there and said, this is where we used to rehearse, and it was great for the for the reverb, you know. It was just right. like, you know, a great area, you know. The one thing they did not do that surprised me, because there were a lot of pictures of it that day, and in fact, I, Jackie Spencer, uh, who's a Liverpool tour guide, uh, talked to me about it. Um, they were at the Beatles statue, and they did not show that, and that was kind of a surprise. I was expecting to see that in there, because that would have been a really kind of, because they, they did a lot of mugging at the statue, and they didn't show it, which was... Um, I was a little, I was slight, uh, wondering why they left that out, but in any event. Well, well, so, nice. Some bootlegger one day will get his hand on the outtakes and we will see it all. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure we will. Actually, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I shouldn't say it wouldn't be, but at CBS, if you're listening, release the whole stupid thing on <laughs> DVD with the, with the outtakes, huh? Uh, you know, I mean, that uh, you'd make a lot of money, I think. I, th- I really think you would. a bonus disc when the album comes out. There we go. There we go. We're just we're coming up with. I, I bet you Paul's <laughs> thought of this already. It was also nice when Paul went into Penny Lane and into the barbershop mm-hmm. and surprised the woman at the door. And you're walking in there, and there's all these photos of the Beatles and John cutting Paul's hair. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it was, that was really nice to know that, that that's how it is now. If you were that, to go there, right? Mm. But um, as I had alluded to a few moments ago. Uh, this turned out to be a, a brilliant move because it generated a lot of sales of songs and albums that are now on iTunes because of this. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you have the list there, Steve. I have it in front of me. I don't. Okay. It says for the singles, this is this is on iTunes now. Come On To Me is number 10. Let It Be is number 20. I Don't Know is 51. Blackbird is 54. Hey Jude is 62, and Obla oh Dio Obla Da is 98. I'm guessing that the Beatle ones are the Beatle recordings, even though there's live recordings of Paul doing it. That's what I'm mm-hmm. thinking. I had looked at the album charts this morning. I, I, I didn't see a whole lot of action there. Uh, I saw 
Beatles one, I think, was somewhere around 15 or something like that. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of the singles chart is where it's all happening, not the album chart. Well, I have a list from for iTunes for the albums. Right. It, does, it has the Beatles one at eight. It has the blue album at 21. All the best from Paul McCartney is 51. The red album is 60. The white album is 63. Abbey Road is 64. And Sgt. Pepper is 90. Okay. So that was all generated from this. Paul has said in, in an interview that um, the White Album is happening and they're putting the finishing touches on it. So we know for a fact that's going to happen, which is news in and of itself. We already pretty much knew for a fact, but we now know for a fact because we know for a fact. It was never confirmed, actually. But now with Paul saying it, it is. That's what I just said. And we still don't know much about what's on it, apart from that he mentioned listening to demos, but we don't know if all the demos are on. Um, and elsewhere, he didn't mention it, but there's been references to Giles having done a 5.1 mix, um, as, they, as he did with Pepper. Um, so we still don't know too much about what will be on it, but we now are, I guess, assured that it will be coming. Right. We just don't know when. He also said that he has no plans to retire and that he's planning some small gigs in July. So we don't know where that's going to be. But, um, yeah, so we have this news coming from Paul. And then we're hoping for a tour. Didn't he say something about a tour as well? Yeah, there there were some words about some kind of other gigs besides small ones. But we don't know. Again, we're we're all sitting on pins and needles waiting for news of that. So well, if he wants mm-hmm. to play small gigs, Portland, Maine is the place because small is what we got. <laughs> there are no big venues in in Maine, are there? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> and other news that I have here, one concerns Billy J. Kramer, who is about to celebrate his 75th birthday, and he's got a big concert planned for that, which is going to take place on Long Island at uh, the newly reopened My Father's Place, which was a huge place to go to on Long Island. And um, it's going to be on August the 18th. Tickets are now on sale for that. He's supposed to have a special guest or two. I don't know who that is. But if you're interested in seeing Billy J for his 75th birthday, that's where that's happening. Also, the Fest for Beatle fans in Chicago is happening at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare. And that will be on, looking at my website here, August 10th through the 12th. But what's really interesting is the lineup of guests for the fest, because Jack Douglas will be there, as will Jeff Emmerich. And um, as far as I know, the two of them have never been at the fest for Beatle fans before as a guest. <laughs> and also Billy J. Kramer will be there, Peter Asher with Jeremy Clyde. Roy Orbison Jr., Leslie Cavendish, and this is one that will make Steve want to get his plane tickets ready. Uh oh, Nicola Hale. Oh yes, I heard. I heard Nicola was going to be there. Little Nicola. Little Nicola uh, is going to be there from Steve's favorite movie, Magical Mystery Tour. Uh, <laughs> so uh, thank you, Ken. again. That's on uh, August 10th through the 12th. If you need more information, just. Uh, if you need more information, check out thefest.com for that. But it's really interesting that, that both Jeff Emmerich and, and Jack Douglas are together for this. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. so much history between the two of them. Anyway. And also, 
um, you wanted to mention, Steve, Denny Sywell has a new album coming out. Yes, uh, he's competing with McCartney because uh, they're both coming out on uh, September 7th. The Denny Sywell Trio's album is called Boomerang. He's posted that on Facebook a couple of times. He hasn't really given any information about it, but uh, um, that should that's coming out the same day, like I said, as McCartney. Let, let me go back to the White Album thing again. Uh, T- Tony Bramwell posted some rare photos uh, this morning and uh, said that those will be used in the reissue. So he's providing some photos, uh, White Album session photos uh, for that uh, reissue. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Okay. Uh, and uh, um, also, since we mentioned Denny Sywell, someone else who has worked with Paul, we didn't mention this before, is Robbie McIntosh. And Robbie has a new CD that he just released, which is called Thanks, Chet. It's a tribute to Chet Atkins. And there was a song that Robbie did in concert with Paul and his band during the 1993 tour called Robbie's Bit, which is very much in the style of Chet Atkins. And a studio version of that song is on it. And it's already been released. So it's called Thanks, Chet, from Robbie McIntosh. And uh, Alan, you had pointed out to us that there's a brand new cover version. This is very interesting. Of Drive My Car. Right. That has just been released. Tell the folks more about it. Uh, okay, it's um, actually to celebrate the fact that women can now drive cars in Saudi Arabia, um, which they hadn't been allowed to do until now. And um, uh, this cellist named Nassim Al-Tarash, uh, who's Palestinian, got together a group with, there's another Palestinian, someone from Jordan, uh, a bassist from Oregon, and a singer who's uh, Syrian named Nano Reyes. And the group is called Nano and the 624, the 624 uh, referring to the date that women were allowed to drive for the first time. Um, And they did this Arabic version of Drive My Car with Arabic instruments, uh, well, and cello. I mean, it's sort of a combination of things. Um, Violin, there's a sort of Arabic percussion and uh, string instruments. And it's it's really a nice version. I mean, it's done in a kind of Arabic style. The lyrics are translated into Arabic, um, except for one verse. She sings the chorus once um, in English, but she changes the lyrics to Baby, I Can Drive My Car. So, you know, it just goes to show once again that nothing is Beatle-proof. Mm. So if you want to hear a Beatle song sung in Arabic... Mm-hmm. This it's, is the way that you can do it. It's on it's YouTube. On, and yeah, it's on YouTube. I just I just located it. So yeah, it's out there. So it's under Nano Reyes, right? Yeah, I mean, if you YouTube it under if sorry, if you Google uh, "drive my car" Arabic, I'm not sure what else I used in the search, but uh, those two. I did "drive my car" Nano N A N O and found it. Mm-hmm. So okay. And also, um, we should just make mention here of the passing of a radio legend and Dan Ingram. And this is a name that we've mentioned here on this show. He is—he has been my hero on the radio. He was the funniest, in my opinion, top 40 DJ there ever has been. I, I used to listen to him all the time on WABC Radio in New York and later on WCBS-FM, the fastest wit, the master of double entendre. Um, everybody who's 
studied radio and listened to him, everybody thinks that he was the best. And I, and I, I believe that to be the case, too. As I said on Facebook, he's what people, us people in radio aspired to be, but there could only be one of them. And um, I always remember here on this show, Steve, you would bring up the fact that um, Dan Ingram once said that after he heard Strawberry Fields Forever, what were the words he used? It's not a record, it's an experience. Well, I don't remember the exact words, uh, but I do remember he questioned the change in their sound, the uh-huh. evol- the way they had evolved, and and it was all you know it was all new to us at the, at that time, and he made mention of it. I remember him talking about that that day, mm-hmm. um, but I mean otherwise he was just incredibly funny. He was just amazing. There are some great outtakes. I posted some last night in the Beatles group, and but it was it's it, he was just he was a master. He very quick wit. He just he would say all sorts of you know, do some double entendres and stuff. I mean, he was just great. He was fantastic. One of the oh oh was it Rewound Radio did a big mm-hmm. uh, tribute to him yesterday that is available for download. If you search Rewound Radio uh, and Dan Ingram, you'll you'll find it and you can download the tribute. And um, I haven't heard it, but I'm sure he put a lot of Verichecks in it. And mm-hmm. But uh, the, the cla- he did some classic stuff. That's it, it was great. So, all right. So that is it for the news this time. And right now we're just going to continue on with uh, with our show with a very special guest who is coming to us from Liverpool, England. That's a requirement that we have now with every guest that we have <laughs> in the future. They have to be from Liverpool, or the, you know, they're just they're not worthwhile guests on the show. But anyway, we have Rogue Best, who is the younger brother of Pete Best. Rogue, welcome to Things We Said Today. Oh, lovely to be on the show, guys. Thanks for having me. Welcome. welcome. And Rogue is here with us because um, he wants to tell us about a brand new museum that is about to open up. It's called the Magical History Museum, and um, it opens on July the 20th. And it's actually on Matthew Street, the famous Matthew Street where the cavern is. So, uh, Rogue, why don't you just tell us the basic information of what this museum is about? I'm sure there's lots of Beatles memorabilia. What can you tell us about this museum? Well, as you said, it's on Matthew Street. We're literally, I'd say, 30 yards from the the cavern club. Um, As we said people before, you know, 60 years in the making, 10 years of planning, uh, we've been struggling, struggling to get this museum off the ground for 10 years simply because I had it set, you know, that it had to be on Matthew Street. If I was going to do this, it had to be on Matthew Street. And as you know, Steve, Matthew Street is the main real estate in Liverpool. It's thriving on Matthew Street. It's so busy on Matthew Street that no one wants to give up a building. And on three occasions... Three occasions, and the final occasion, I just went, oh, that's it, I give up. And I was walking across a car park, feeling forlorn, bumped into a friend of mine who said, what's wrong with you? You look really sad. And uh, I told him I was just let go of a dream. He said, what's the dream? Told him what it was about. He said, I love that idea. A Beatles museum on Matthew Street, taking you through the whole career, every part of the journey. He's got an item of memorabilia. He said, why aren't you doing it? I said, because there's no buildings on Matthew Street. He said, oh, I've just been offered one. I said, what? 
He said, I've just been offered one 30 minutes ago. So I said, you, you're joking. He said, no. I said, who else knows? He said, nobody. He said, he's, he's just asked me if I want to buy it. I said, are you buying it? He said, am I a partner? I said, <laughs> I said you are now. So we arranged the meeting, sat down with the gentleman the next morning, and uh, agreed a price, shook hands, and sure enough, now we own this five-floor building right in the middle of Matthew Street, old Victorian warehouse. Wow. So- sounds like kismet to me. <laughs> it was meant to be. Oh, was, do you know what? That We still laugh about that, Steve. That meeting was, the way it happened was the weirdest thing. I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen Paddy in maybe five years. He's just there at that time, having just been offered a building on Matthew Street. And the guy we bought it from, because I'd, I'd reached a point where I was just paranoid, you know. Every time I got near one of these buildings, I was either gazumped or something would happen. And I was thinking, here we go. And I sat with the guy the next day, an older gentleman. He was 82 years old. And uh, he'd had a good business. But he, he just reached that time where, you know, hey, I want to, as he said to me, I want to start traveling and seeing the world. I was thinking, well, <laughs> Could have done that a little bit earlier, but hey, he, he was still looking good, still a fit man, and it's still sharp as tax. And I said to him, well, we've agreed the deal. We've shook hands. I said, can I ask one thing of you? And he said, go on. I said, that you will not tell anybody else that you're selling this building. He said, you've got a deal. So no one knew that we bought it until basically we'd signed on the dotted line. And then we broke the news. And there was a lot of people that were, oh, really? That building was up for sale? Mm. Yes, it was. But no one knew. Mm. Let me interrupt for a second. Rogue, just to let you know, besides me, there's Ken Michaels. That's Ken Michaels there uh, that's talking to you. And then there's also Alan Cosen. There's nice. three of us three of us on the call. Okay. Oh, hey, well, guys, I c- can't differentiate the voices, so I'm not sure which one of you I'm speaking to. So I, j- I shall just answer in general from here okay. on in. Okay. Okay. Well, that's okay. Us Americans all sound the same anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Rogue, Rogue, is, the, is that the building that was across from the cavern, or, or, or was that one of the ones that had fallen through in the past? Um, it was... It was no the the initial building that it fell through three times was next door to the cabin. Uh-huh. That's all bought, gone. They've done stuff with it. Uh, the building I've bought is next door to the Grapes. So the Grapes Pub, which is famous for being a watering hole of the Beatles, you know, they play the cavern. They go and sit in the Grapes, right. you know, because the cavern back in the day didn't serve alcohol. It was coffee, Coca Cola. You know, so the Beatles had finished their performance at the cavern, go scuttling across the road, sit in the grapes, have a few pints, and then go back to do the next performance. We are the building right next door to the grapes. So we're in between the grapes and the cavern. So we're yeah. on on their run from playing and drinking. What is there the was, state of the grapes uh, now? Um, there was a report that it was closing, you. and then there was a report that it might not close. Do you Do you have any insight into what's going on there? Uh, well, I believe it's it's now open again. Yeah. Um, you know, but th- this happened a few years ago with the grapes, guys. You know, it it closed for a few weeks. There was all this, hey, the grapes is closed. It's not going to open again. 
and it's basically it's going to open again. It's it was a, just a bit of mismanagement. They sorted it out. Hey, they're they're open again. You know, so the grapes isn't going anywhere. The grapes is a a Liverpool institution. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, obviously, obviously, there's there's the uh, the connection on Matthew Street, and it's only natural to want to have the museum there. But was there any thought? to it being at the Casbah itself. I mean, that's a historic place <laughs> to itself. You know? Yeah, the Casbah, well, as you guys know, the Casbah's where it truly all began. It, it you know, it predates the um, Beatles at the Cavern Club by oh, almost two years. Right. Um, in fact, the first date they did at the Cavern Club was arranged by our mother. It was, it was Mona who spoke to Ray McFall and persuaded them to take to take a chance on a rock and roll band. Take a chance, Mr. McFall. They're really good. Do yourself a favour. They'll pull a crowd in. And uh, she talked them round, and the Beatles did their first show, and the rest, as we say, is hysteria. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but, yeah, the Casbah, Casbah's booming, guys. Casbah's doing so well, so well. And it's one of our intentions to... You know, we've got the Magical History Museum on Matthew Street. We've got the Casbah Coffee Club on the outskirts of Liverpool. It's one of our intentions to lay on a courtesy bus running between the two venues so that you can do one and the courtesy bus will take you to the other. That's great. Do you have concerts every night at the Casbah? No, we don't do concerts. We're not interested in being a live venue. Uh, we just do special events, so we maybe do three shows a year. You know, but the big one, the big one, the one that everyone really goes for, Pete only does one show a year in Liverpool, an annual concert. And he'd done all the, the main places. He'd done the outdoor festivals. He'd done the Empire, the Royal Court, the different theatres, the, large, you know, the larger venues. And then he said to me, he said, listen, he said, as of next year, he said, I'm only going to do one show a year in Liverpool, and I've decided it's going to be at the Casbah. He said, and let's make it a regular event. So we're in our 10th year of doing that, this year's Best Fest 10. And um, guys, what can I say? If you like a rock and roll party, I'd go as far as to say that it's probably the best rock and roll party in the world. When are you going to record those, Rogue? You have you guys haven't recorded recorded those, have you? No, we haven't. You've just given me the idea. This year's <laughs> one's being recorded. Thank you so much. Of course, once I get off the phone from yourselves and speak to the team, I will give that to them that it was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> we should ask you if we're partners. <laughs> yeah, really. yeah, really, really. No, I mean it. It, it just seems like because I've seen the lineups from the past years, and and it would seem like a great idea to have to have uh, those recorded. Who are you going to have this year? Um, this year, obviously, Pete's playing. Uh, Liverpool Express are playing. Uh, Carl Terry and the Cruisers are playing. And uh, the Undertakers, mm. uh, a tribute band um, called the Dizzy Miss Lizzies, but it's actually one of the guys from the Prodigy. You know, I'm a fire starter, you know, Prodigy. Mm -hmm. and, well, Prodigy is, a, you know, this stadium band, the huge band. Mm -hmm. uh, but his passion when he's not doing his Prodigy thing is the Beatles. 
So he has this little tribute band that he does for fun. So it's great just having him having him there, even though he's doing his Beatle thing. So uh, so Giz is coming and doing with his Dizzy Miss Lizzies. And um, oh, who else have we got on the bill? Oh, the Connection, my my own my own band are playing as well. I'm trying to think. There's one more, and if they if they listen to this, they're gonna kill me because I can't remember who they are. <laughs> there, is, there is someone else on the bill. Have you had surprise guests in the past? Yeah, well, I, I mean, it was it was it was lovely. One of the best fests. I was in the office. And uh, the guy knocks on the door. Guy knocks on the door and says, "Hi, Rogue." He said, uh, uh, "Joss Stone's here." And I was that tired; it just didn't register. <laughs> uh, she wants to come in and see you, and I'm, well, she'll have to wait. I'm busy. You know, <laughs> I did a few more little bits, moving things around on my desk, and went, "Hang on a minute." Did he say Joss Stone? So walk went. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) What was I thinking? You know, great to have you here. And then, do you know what the lovely thing about that was, guys? She was there with her whole band, and basically they said, can we play? And we were like, really? She was (laughs) at the Albert Hall the night before. Yeah. And her and her band got up and did this, like, 45-minute set, it was so, so good. And what really made it for me, I walked outside and one of the, one of the band members, it was the lead guitarist, a young American gentleman, and he's on the phone to his mum. And this is the guy who's played at the Royal Albert Hall the night before. And he's on the phone to his mum going, Mom, as you guys say, Mom, you're not going to believe where I've just played. I've just played at the Casbar Coffee Club where the Beatles began. And I looked at them, is that wonderful? Hmm. You've been teasing um, online with stuff from the museum. Um, in fact, I just shared, I think, the latest one to my Beatles group uh, this morning. What kind of, I mean, give us a rundown on some of the stuff that you have. Okay, so uh, uh, items you're going to see there. The way the museum's been designed, every floor, the design is different on every floor. Every floor, the color scheme's different. I mean, the layout's different on every floor. The color scheme's different on every floor. I took my partners to five different rock museums, and then we got together for a meeting, and they looked at me and they went, so we get it. That's how we're doing it. And I said, no. The reason I'm taking you to those museums is to show you how we're not going to do it. Because what's happened is, and I've seen them all, guys. I've I've traveled all over the world with this rock and roll game. And I've seen them all. And it's like someone's devised a template and everyone's copied it. So I basically said, we're not going to do anything like that. It's very different than it's been done, done before as a visual and audio experience. Items. Well, we've got Pete's Premier Drum Kit in there. We've got George's Futurama Grazio guitar used on My Bonnie, Cry for a Shadow. Mm-hmm. We have um, the Sergeant Pepper medals, John War. 
We have the trophy off the front of the Sgt. Pepper album cover, which was for PSI Love You going into the top 100 in the USA. We have the cello from Blue Jay Way. We have, oh, the Marisha's beads, the Beatles beads, the uh, table from India, George's first zitar. We have um, props from the different films that they did. We have posters, flyers, clothing. We've got everything. You also have that color. You told me you had the color, the first color film. That one of, of them. Um, uh, Saint is it Saint Elizabeth's Hall? Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, there was a rumor going round. There was well, there was two rumors floating around. One rumor was that there was this color footage of the Beatles performing in leather, and that no one seen it, and that this this guy had it on on a cine film. And then there was another rumor going round that a guy had on cine film the Beatles with Tony Sheridan on stage at the Top Ten Club. I went into that like, guys, I was like, rock and roll detective, rock and roll detective, tracking these people down. I tracked both of them down over an 18-month, two-year period. I track and I get meet up with the first guy, and we persuade him to come over. We've set up a cine camera. He brings the film. We put the film on. We put it on, and bingo. There they are in the leather, color footage. We're like, oh, my God. It's the earliest known footage of the Beatles. Will you sell it? And he said no. And then I asked him what I'd be prepared to pay for it. Um, he said no again. And then I thought, no, do you know what? That was a good price. So I said to him, mull that over. I said, that was a good price. You know, he said, I think I can get more. I said, well, I think you can. I said, but, and I did, you know, the old adage, I actually had the cash there, you know, Let's open the case and show them the can. <laughs> you can, but here you are. Look at all this green stuff in here. And uh, he phoned me the next day and said, yeah, I'll sell it to you. So, um, so we did that deal. And then it was basically, let's track down the guy in Germany with them on stage with Tony Sheridan. And we met with him. I kid you not. I met with him flying out to Hamburg each time. I met with him on five occasions and I walked out of the fifth meeting and I was with my business partner, Alan, and he looked at me and said, what do you think? And I said, I don't believe he's got it. I don't believe it exists. You know, I said, um, he's getting a, a lot of mileage out of something that he hasn't got. I said, what do you think? And he went, exactly the same. He hasn't got it. So we think that one was a crock of fill in the blank. <laughs> um, Roke, you mentioned the uh, John Sergeant Pepper medals. Um, yeah. Were those not your grandfather's? Yeah, that's right. Um, we'd been a, a military family. Um, uh, you know, we'd been a military family. It was sort of prerequisite if you were male in the bests or shores um, that you went off to the army. <laughs> and, of course, that stopped. But our mother, being the keeper of all things had all the family's medals and she had them going right back, I think, to like the Boer War. I mean, these things go right. <laughs> and she knows who won them, what it was for, which campaign it was from. And John, on occasion, would ask Mo to put all these medals out so he could look at them. This was before John wanted to give peace a chance. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was looking at all the medals and 
she'd be explaining what it was about. And cut to the chase. They're doing Sergeant Pepper. He says to my dad, can you bring that box of medals to London? Will Mo lend me the box of medals? And from that transpired that he actually wore our grandfather's medals on the Sergeant Pepper cover. Hmm. How much of what's in this museum is from the family through the years and how much of it is what you've acquired more recently? Right. We have items that were given to me by my mother. We have items that were left to me by my mother. We have items that were given to me by my father and left to me by my father. And we have items that were given to me by Pete. Now that is a collection in itself. Sure. Over a 55 year period, I've been collecting and I've only ever gone after rare items. I've only ever gone after rare items. Sometimes I got them, sometimes I didn't. You know? So I've ended up with a really, really impressive collection, a very impressive collection. Hmm. Did Pete himself, did Pete himself save a lot? Um, the saving to Pete's got stuff. Pete's got stuff. Uh, as you know, uh, over the years, I've approached Pete and basically said, hey, uh, Hamburg cowboy boots, can I have them? He went, yeah, sure. You want you want me old cowboy boots? You can have them. So great, can't there? And then of course you go back and go, Pete. You know your your Hamburg leather trousers. Said, yeah, yeah. Can I have your Hamburg leather trousers? Yeah, if you want me old Hamburg leathers, you can have them. Great. And then you go back again. And you go, Pete. Can I have your your Hamburg leather jacket? And he goes, No. <laughs> Yeah, I say, I say, why? He said, because I've got really good memories around that jacket. You know, so I'll keep that. Okay, then a few other items happen over the years. Then I go to Pete and go, Pete, have you still got your original management contract with Brian? And he says, yeah. And I go, could I? And he goes, no. And I go, okay, well, tell you what. Can I take it and make a really nice color photocopy of it? And I'll bring it back. And he goes, no. <laughs> so I go, okay. Right, I'll just leave that one. And then he called me up a few days later. And he said, listen. He said, what happened was, he said, we all signed using Moe's pen. This is not the contract that was done at NEMS. Because there was a contract before NEMS that was done at the Casbah in December 61. Brian didn't realize that you had to sign over a postage stamp in the UK to make a contract legally binding. So they hadn't done that. The second contract, the one they did at NEMS, they signed over a postage stamp. So this is the one that predates that. And that was done at Heyman's Green above the Casbah. Each of the boys got the contract. They stuck the contract in a manila envelope. And because it had all been signed with Moe's pen, Moe's pen went in Pete's envelope. When the pen was still in the envelope, this beautiful fountain pen so he said listen he said you can't have the management contract he said but if you want you can have the pen that people signed with i thought that'll do i'll have the pen if i can't have the contract i'll have the pen so, <laughs> so a lot of just come about by being really cheeky to be honest <laughs> I, don't, I don't see why he would he didn't accept if he just made a copy of it he just with that item i think it was just this is too personal I just don't want. I just don't want it to be seen by people, even if it's a photocopy. You know, a nice copy. I just don't want it to be out there. You know, and and, and that's and that's fine. That's fine. 
Okay. Can I go back to the to the uh, the film the film of the Beatles performing? You told me that, and and I think for people who didn't see the article that I wrote, that that footage that you have is actually longer than the version that's on the internet. Uh, that yeah. that it, it's quite it it's uh, tell tell them exactly how much longer it is. Oh, do you know what? I haven't looked at that in years. I'm looking at it next week, to be honest with you, because we're going to use it in the museum, and we're going mm-hmm. to use, we're going to use the other footage that's on it, because the cine camera that that's on, it starts off, and it's sort of like you know that scratchy look, and then it comes up like hand someone's written on it, and it says the snooker room, and then it clicks to the snooker room in the club, and this mm-hmm. is. 1960s, the guys are playing snooker and blah blah blah, and the pints mm-hmm. and the section on there, and then it goes, you know, gets a bit scratchy again, and it goes the um, oh, the the bar, and then it's this whole scene of people standing around in the bar playing cards, someone else playing dominoes, you know, with their pints and whatnot, and then it gets scratchy again, and it goes the cabaret room, and then obviously that's when the footage of the boys on stage in the cabaret room comes up. The footage, I think, now I'm going for memory here, so you may, hey, you may know this better than me. <laughs> I, I think in the documentary we used maybe 30 seconds of it, and I think we've actually got about two minutes, maybe two and a half minutes. Okay. Used about 30 seconds in the um, in the documentary. But there is more footage of the Beatles on stage than what we've seen, correct? Yeah, of that of that footage. You know, okay. unfortunately, okay. unfortunately, there's no audio. I mean, right. how, how nice would that have been if the audio had been with it? But hey, there's no audio. But it's it's still a beautiful historical piece. It, you know, there's this <laughs> lovely color footage of the boys in leather performing. You know, I don't think there's any footage of the boys performing in leather anywhere else. I, I, not that I'm aware of. I've never seen it. I don't recall any. Yeah. So um, just, somebody did match up audio with it, and I can't remember what song it was. I, I could probably look it up while we're sitting here. It, it might have been but, Red Hot or something. Was it, was it Red Hot? From Hamburg, yeah. Was that done in a Material World? I think Material World may have... Um, it was in George Harrison's Material World, and I think... I think in that they they um, hooked up a, a soundtrack to it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't. I don't. I'm not sure if that's exactly where it was or not. But I. But yeah, it's. Uh, it, it was. They had definitely. Uh, somebody had hooked up uh, um, some footage on it. Uh, I remember that now. So. Yeah. yeah. Did it look good with the audio? Yeah, it looked fairly. It looked fairly good. I mean, I was surprised that they were able to to get it that close. It, they, it seemed like they had gotten it close, but um, yeah, I it, it was it was definitely it was definitely uh, quite interesting what they did. So, go on. Sorry, um, Pete isn't involved in the museum project at all. I, I think you've said in the past. Is that still the case? Um, no, it's not the case now. Um, Pete wasn't involved in the museum project. I was pretty much going solo with it. And then, uh, and then a friend of mine, Alan, who's a business partner of mine on other projects, basically said, I'd like to come in and do that. And I thought, why not? I, you know, I, I trust this guy as much as you can trust anybody, you know? And, um, 
Yeah. No, I really, I really, you know, we've been friends a long time. We've been friends since we were like 14 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, so we've been friends now like, what, 20 years? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a bit more. Um, so Alan came in. And then Alan's other business partner in another business, uh, he said, hey, you know, I'd really like to come in and be part of this. And don't forget, as this is going on, guys, my costs are escalating and escalating and escalating. And it's getting more uncomfortable and more uncomfortable. So I said, yeah, OK, let's go for it. You know, Paddy was already involved. Hey, am I a partner? Um, so there was four of us then. And then we're sitting there, and it's like, okay, we're getting ready to do the last push. You know? And we all sat down and went, okay, this last push is going to be X, Y, and Z financially. Everyone comfortable to do that? And everyone on the table went, oh, you know, we, oh, well, we can, but, oh, Jesus. You know? So I said, well, why don't we have a fifth partner? And they, and they all looked at me and went, well, who? Who do we trust enough to come in as a fifth partner? I said, my brother. You know, I trust him more than anyone. And they went, Pete? And I said, yeah, let's bring Pete in. And they went, do you think he'd want to be part of this? I said, well, I I won't know till I ask. Saw him the following day, said to him, do you want to be part of it? And Pete, in his own quiet way, went, yeah, sure, go on, I'll give it a go. (laughs) (laughs) So... So there's five of us, including Pete now. So now he's a partner. He should provide the contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, really. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm using that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, stick around. We'll come, up with, we'll come up with some great stuff for you. We've already given you a couple of ideas, you know. Yeah, so. I, I, I don't remember you giving me any ideas at all. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> so okay. is is everything that's in this museum something that hasn't been seen before until now? Because you've had like the Beatles story in Liverpool. Did they ever use any of this material? The Beatles story. I loaned six items to them, which they still have on loan at the moment. But when you think my collections. Oh, I think it's between, I think I'm around about the 1,000, 1,100 items. Um, we can only house 300 items at a time. Mm. So uh, every January, we're going to do a 25% switch round. Mm. Uh, so to answer, you the qu- answer your question, a lot of the items have, have never been seen. A lot of the items have never been seen since their original usage. Mm. Mm. So... You are um, also a published author, and um, I was wondering whether, you know, a lot of museums, I mean, big museums like the Metropolitan Museum of Art publish catalogs for various other shows. Um, Do you have any thought of publishing a catalog in which people can see some photos of some of these items and maybe descriptions? Wow, what a wonderful... No, I'm not not giving you credit for this. That is all... Is already in the pipeline. It's already in the pipeline. That's great. Yes, we are going to do a catalogue. You know, it won't be ready for our for our opening because um, it's it's all guns blazing at the moment. You know, so um, the catalogue is coming, but it won't be there for our, for our opening. It will most follow most probably follow about five, maybe six months afterwards, because putting that together, and I mean, if we're going to do it, I'd really want it to be beautiful you know i'd like it to be 
a nice piece in itself. Mm-hmm. And that, to make something of that quality, something to look that good, takes time. And at this moment in time, I haven't got any more time to give. Mm-hmm. I'm sh- to the limits. But we are going to do that. We are doing that. Um, Rogue, you said Neil provided some stuff to the museum What that you got stuff uh, from him that you're putting in the museum. What stuff specifically did he give you? Uh, well, I'll just give you one item. You know, mm-hmm. and the Apple boardroom table, the boardroom table from Apple, where all the guys sat around and made their decisions. So it's this beautiful boardroom table. It was the Beatles boardroom table at Apple. So, um, which is a wonderful piece in itself. Yeah, as regards to other items, you're going to have to come and see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Did what you else? ever think, like, this is far into the future now. We're coming up with all these ideas for you, Rogue. But um, <laughs> maybe having uh, some kind of a display at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, since they've already had a John Lennon exhibit. They've had a Stu Sutcliffe exhibit. You know, maybe some of the items you could put on loan over there. And that will entice people to come over and see your museum. I was already approached to do it and uh, and turn them down. I've already been approached to do that and and turn the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame down. I just just wasn't keen. I just wasn't keen. Really? Any particular reason, any specific reason, or you just, or did, you just didn't want to do it at all? I just didn't. I always, you know, always follow my gut. You know what? I may be, you know, I may be, and I say, I've said this to my family and close friends. You know, I don't always make the right decision, but I always make the right decision for me. Okay. It just didn't appeal, not for any particular reason. I just thought. No, I don't want to do that. You know, so we said, thank you so much. No, thanks. Hmm. Okay. okay. Of course, if they want to induct me at any point into the office, <laughs> <laughs> you can obviously open up the negotiations again. <laughs> yeah. Did um, We were talking about this the other day. Uh, we wondered if when Paul was in Liverpool with uh, James Corden, if uh, he and Pete had connected or if you if you had even seen him in the city that day did you did you guys see him well lots of people saw him knocking about friends of mine saw him knocking about i got a couple of calls saying hey do you know paul's in town and um, no i didn't i didn't know paul was in town and um, a few people said hey you know well one of my friends phoned up and said come on rogue make the phone call make, <laughs> make the phone call me and you can go and watch paul's show Make the phone call. And I said, I can't make the phone call. He went, why, why can't you make the phone call? I said, because I'm babysitting my grandson. <laughs> and he went, well, what about you make the phone call and I can go? And I went, it doesn't work. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. So uh, that was it. Because I, I, um, my eldest son had a son. So there's, there's now a third generation rogue. And him and his partner were saying how tired they were, hadn't how they hadn't been out for four months. And I foolishly, foolishly said, guys, I'm around this weekend. You know, my wife's away in Edinburgh watching the Rolling Stones. My <laughs> daughter's away in Benidorm uh, on, a, on a girl's hen night. 
you know, uh, the younger boys, my younger boys, well, my younger boys, younger boys, you know, 11 and 12, you know, I said, hey, I'm about this weekend. Why don't you, I'm going to book you into a hotel. It's a treat on me. You know, you guys enjoy yourselves in Liverpool and I'll have the baby. <laughs> I forgot how hard it was. And by 8.30 on the first night, I was on my knees, practically on the verge of tears, thinking, oh, my God, what have you done? <laughs> it was so, so hard. Yeah. Here's another idea you can steal. Um, have you and Pete do a, do a carpool karaoke on your own um, in Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually like that idea. You know. <laughs> that for some reason straight appeals to my very warped sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, you could. We'll, you do could. Our, we'll do our own carpool karaoke. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I'm glad I thought of that. Oh, I think we're getting in a whole lot of trouble here. We really are. So, Rogue, do um, you guys have contact with Apple these days? And with, I mean, do you have any contact with Paul? Is it something that, like, has, you know, thought over the years and you can, you know, just, just can you, you know, call him? I'm in a very unique position because, obviously, Pete's time with the lads finished in 62, and, uh, he saw them on two more occasions after that, and then, hey, he didn't see them again. But my dad's, my dad's there, so mm-hmm. I have relationship with them because of my dad. So, do I see them? Yes, I do. Do I consider them to be friends? Yes, I do. You know. So you fact, saw, so you saw them when you were a little kid and everything, and you, like you sort of grew up seeing them every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Hmm. It's a strange old world, guys. It's a strange old world. Your brother was in the band and doesn't see them anymore, and I do. You know, and they and they are good friends. Yeah, they are. Good friends. Was it difficult for your father to juggle between being loyal to the Beatles and then at the same time having known what happened to Pete? Here he's your father. It was it. Was it a sensitive? Was was it really difficult for him to to have a balance between the two? How did he handle that? Um, do you know what? I think he just he just got on with it. He just got on with it. You know, it, sometimes things just are what they are. You know, you can sit there and you can try and dissect it and try and make sense of it. Well, some people do that. You know, hey, it's. I remember speaking to my wife's a psychiatrist, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there's different terms for different people, and you've got um, mechanics who want to know the ins and outs of it. You know, to give you an example, you know, the car's going to drive to A to B, but the mechanic wants to know why. He wants to know why that turns that, why that moves that, why that makes the wheels go round, etc., etc. He likes to look into all of that. He likes to find out what the workings of it is. And I've forgotten what the other one is, which he says is me, where I actually don't care about the mechanics or how it works. I just want to know that when I get in it at A, it will take me to B, and it will do the same from B to when I want to go back to A. 
And I think my dad was like that. It was no like thinking about it too much, reading it into it too deeply. It just is what it is. And he got on with it. Mm-hmm. It puts you in a really interesting position too, because I guess because you're so much younger than Pete um, and obviously didn't have, have the experience, the experience that, Pete, that, Pete, that Pete had that with Pete them. Had. Um, you can look at it um, as a historian in a way, and, and, and it looks sort of like that's what the museum is. You're sort of exploring a, a historical thing that's close to your family, but isn't something that you like have bad feelings about necessarily in the way that Pete might. No, do, do you know what guys, Pete doesn't have bad feelings about it. You know, you speak to Pete and Pete and you know, and I, and I think well, what a, what a healthy way, you know, we, you've read Pete's books and you know sure. that when it happened, you know, how upset he was, God, why wouldn't you be upset? Of course. Why would, you know, come on. You know, and then, you know, he foolishly tried to take his own life because he was in this, like, terrible depression. Then he came through it all. He came through it all. And, you know, and, and life was good. And he's had a wonderful time. And Pete's view now, if you speak to Pete, he goes, do you know what? I was part of the biggest rock and roll band in the world for two years. And I had an absolute ball. Mm-hmm. So that was it, and that's and that's, that's what's and that's what's pretty marvelous because you know when you think about the story the way we originally knew it you know and from and I mean all of us remember seeing him on uh, uh, I've Got a Secret and you know see and that was just after you know that was the you know that was kind of still in the throes of what had happened because you know that was Beatlemania and now so many years later and he's and the attitude is completely. He, he's, you know, he's completely put out a new image, and it's really marvelous because, I mean, it, it, you're right. I mean, it was he was, you know, that is a pretty devastating thing to happen, and he has, you know, he's turned it around, and you got to give him a lot of credit for that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Yeah, he's he's a he's a pretty he's a pretty together guy. Piece. He doesn't uh he doesn't give away too much, but he's uh. I'll tell you what, he's a really together guy, and if and Pete's one of those guys, if he makes a friend of you, a friend of you, then he's a he's a, he's a friend for life, you know. He's a, and if you tell him a secret, Jesus, <laughs> he's not going to breathe a word. He's not going to breathe a word. I don't know anyone who can hold their own counsel the way Pete does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've interviewed him a couple of times, and he's a sweet guy, and I really always admired his healthy attitude. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks, man. You're the guy that gave him all the ideas for the Hamings Green album. And that was me. Was, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're going to have to talk to us more. Out. You're going to have to talk to us more often, Rogue. We keep coming up with ideas for you. <laughs> oh, guys, do you know what? You're, you're going to make me a fortune. You're going to make me a fortune. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so uh, yeah, I'll obviously deny this conversation. Should you? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Since you mentioned Heyman's Green, uh, yeah. has Pete ever made any plans to record another album, or has he thought about it? It's really strange that you should ask that because <laughs> Heyman's Green. There was four tracks that didn't get onto the finished album, not because they were weak, because we ran out of time. We ran out of time. 
and we sacrificed for the tracks. We just said, you know what, we're just going to have to go with it as it is. One track called Me and Johnny is this whole drum thing going on. One of my favourite tracks. And we'd left that to studio because Phil, who was going to sing it, it's a screamer. And every time we're, uh, sorry, when I say studio, we've recorded it in studio to mix it. We left it to the studio that we're going to mix in. We were mixing in in another studio, Mm -hmm. you know, recorded it in one, mixed it in another, mastered it in another. Hey, isn't that what we all do? So, uh, no, we don't. We all just make the albums on our laptops now. But (laughs) our plan was when we get to the studio where we're mixing, Phil's like, no, no, just because I need to, like, ah, I need to be able to really, like, get up there. And we're okay, okay. And then we get into the studio and we say, hey, Phil, you really got to go for uh, for the lead vocal on me and Johnny. Yeah, okay. And he has three, four takes. And we're all going, uh, yeah, it's, no, it's not, it's not really there, is it? He says, no, no. I'll, do you know what? Let's get on with mixing the album, and I'll have another go at that track tomorrow. So the next day we try again, and we all look at each other and go, it's not. we did it three times and then went, stop. This is not going to work, and this is not the place to be doing this. Forget laying the lead vocal down on that track. Let's just get on with mixing the album. We've got four tracks that should have gone on that album. We're going to re-release Heyman's Green. We're going to call it, hey, this is the original for you. We're going to call it Heyman's Green Plus Four. And uh, (laughs) those four tracks, we might call it something else, to be honest. Heyman's Green, obviously, maybe just Heyman's Green Plus the tracks that weren't on it first, whatever. We'll think of, we'll think of something clever. Well, you, when we come off there, you guys can tell me what it's going to be called. And uh, I'll obviously <laughs> claim it as my own idea. Uh, well, Let's get working on that. Yeah, yeah really. Uh, I, think, you, I think Deluxe yeah. Expanded Edition would do, you know. <laughs> yeah. But we're, we are re-releasing it with the four tracks that we're missing. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to finish those tracks off and they're going on. So uh, we are releasing it. And then, to coincide with the re-release of Heyman's Green, and we haven't toured in America for so, so long, we're actually going to come back next year. We're actually going to come into a tour next year to promote Oh, that's, we're, breaking new, we're breaking news here in more, more ways than one. That's great. That's great. You, you guys just played the uh, Beatles, Beatles um, um, convention in San Diego. Yeah, that was really that was really good fun. It was really good fun. So um, yeah, that was that. Um, we we played along with a, a band called um, the Fallen Doves, and a guy called Chris Laver is the um, uh, the leader of the band. Mm-hmm. And he was just a a lovely guy, but a, a talent in his own right. He's mm-hmm. a really, really talented young man. So um, so he we we did double drums as we do with the Peak Best Band. We did that with the Fallen Doves, and uh, did a load of be- uh, early Beatles material, and it was just really good fun, and people enjoyed it. You know, so um, yeah, it was nice. San Diego, San Diego was good. Is the tour next year going to be um, Beatle conventions, or are you going to you going to do regular gigs? We don't know. We spoke to. I only spoke to our. Uh, past promoter uh, two days this is how new this idea is mm-hmm. I only spoke to her two days ago and she said okay so re-release the Haman's Green the four bonus tracks you're going to come out for three maybe four weeks touring when are you coming to do the tour and I went um, oh right 
we we have thought that far ahead. We only had the idea that we were going to do any of this about three days ago. I just wanted to check that you were on side to put the tour together. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I'm on side. Just tell me when you want to come. We don't know when we're coming yet. But obviously, you guys will be the first to know because you're the. Okay. You got a little exclusive there. Yeah, we do. We sure do. That's awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah, you'll definitely let it, let us know uh, when when the, all this gets worked out. Yeah, we will. We will. What what is going on with? Um, we never hear about your other brother, Rory. What what is he doing these days? Well, Rory was Rory was doing a uh, doing a little bit working at the Casbah, and then um, and then he decided he wanted to retire. You know, so he's um, he's basically called it a day. So as far as I know, he you know he basically vacations and um, throws on the cravat and has <laughs> a cocktail and you know. So um, no, he's just having a a nice time, not doing anything. And there are other performing members of the best family, uh, Leanne, for example. Oh, Leanne's doing fantastic, guys. Her career just keeps going from strength to strength. She really is a talent. She really is a talent. You should yeah. you should give a little background for people that for our listeners that um, don't know. She's she's been an actress and she's gotten. She was in uh, one of the Star Wars films, uh, correct? Yeah, she was only a little tiny bit part in one of the Star Wars films, but there's a. Our biggest drama series over here, it's off air at the moment because they're filming the next series, but she was one of the main characters in that. That's a show called Cold Feet. And at one time, she was, um, well, to give you an idea, she was on, you know, um, our Good Morning, Good Morning Britain, whatever it's called, our National Morning Show. And she's been on it a few times, but she was on it this time because they were paying accolade to her as Britain's busiest actress. At that moment, she was on, she was in different shows, playing different characters with different accents on five different channels. And the shows were all on at the same time. Wow. So, so if you switch from any of those five channels, you switched and saw Leanne as a as a drug addict. You'd switched over. You saw Leanne as a policewoman. You switched over. You saw Leanne as a German spy. You switched over. Saw Leanne in a World War One. She was everywhere, you know. And uh, but she's good. She's really, really good. <laughs> wow, we we'll have wow. to look out for. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, well, she, the U, USA guys, she's got the USA in her sights. That's where she wants to. That's where she wants to come. She wants. Uh, she wants something to happen in the USA for her. Yeah. Wolverine Jack. Wolverine Jack. Oh, guys, thank you. That's 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 why I said it. That's why I said it. So, uh, any ideas about that? Let's talk about that off there. <laughs> Anything else that uh, you guys want to ask? Well, I, let me ask one more kind of. Um, you know, off the wall question. Being that P- uh, Pete does have some connection to Apple, has he been approached, or did, does he know of anything in the works about any Beatle projects that will include his music? I mean, is, are they going to do anything with any of the stuff that he was involved in? Do you know? I've got no idea whatsoever. And if, and if Pete knew of it, he wouldn't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that was a sneaky way of seeing we uh, see if we could get a uh, a line on uh, a Beatle project that nobody knew about. So right. oh, well, oh well. So Rogue, do you have a website for the museum, or or will you? It, Website's under construction. If okay. people want to follow what's happening at the museum, just the Magical History Museum Facebook. You know, go to the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. That's the best place to keep up to date with what we're doing. The website is under construction at the moment. So that'll be following shortly. But our, you know, our, our main concern is is just getting the museum open on 20th of July and just blowing people's minds. I want people to walk out of there the same way they walk out the Casbah, where their first reaction is, "Oh my God, that was so good." If you can, get, you know, if you can give people that that they're walking out with, well, that's that's a bonus, you know. Sure. I, I love walking out of a show or a gig or a or a museum or a play and going, oh my god, that was so good. You know, unfortunately, most times I walk out and go, did you see the bit where such and such happened? That was a bit weak. His Irish accent wasn't very good. You know, I, I'm a critic, but I'm also a critic of myself. And you're going to be you're going to be posting daily teasers uh, continually until the uh, opening. Yeah, going to, going to try to, time allowing. Going to try to. Okay. Because those have been fun. Are you going to ever post the answers to those? Yes. Because you, you're, post, you're just posting pictures. I haven't seen any any answers to, to what people are guessing. We are going to do a reveal the week before the museum opens. Aha. Okay. Yeah. We're, doing, we're doing... See that? Jesus Christ, you found out. <laughs> Something else that wasn't supposed to be getting. <laughs> I want to finish doing this interview. <laughs> we are, we're, we're, are, we're, we're, we're news people. We ask questions. <laughs> we are doing a, re- a reveal about the around about the fifteenth, sixteenth of July. We're doing a reveal. Okay. Okay. Ah. That's fantastic. Well, this sounds like a must-see if anyone's going to Liverpool. You have to make sure that you go to this museum. And like uh, you said, it's opening on the 20th of July, the yeah. Magical History Museum. Yeah. You also have a restaurant in there, um, Rogue. Uh, I don't think you – did you mention the restaurant? Not a restaurant as such, a cafeteria, a, ni- a nice a nice cafe space. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. All okay. right. Rogue, thanks so much for joining us. This has been absolutely wonderful. Keep us abreast of what's going on. And uh, you know, anytime you want to come back on the show, if you want to invite any family members, <laughs> I'm not going to mention anybody in particular. You know, the whole family's welcome. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think who'd be right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Jesus. No, no, not. I'll, 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 I'll give it some more thoughts. Okay. okay. All right, Rogue. Good to uh, talk to you again, sir. Yes. Yeah, do you know what? Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And I hope the boys, the girls listening have enjoyed it too. Fellas, you take okay. care of yourself. All the best to you. Thank okay. you. Thanks. Yes. Thank you. Good luck. Good luck with the opening. All right. That has been great talking with Rogue Best here. Thanks for joining us, Rogue. And um, for any of you that would like to get in touch with us, let's give out our contact information, starting with you, Alan. Uh, easiest way to get me is on Facebook, um, either at Alan Cozen or Alan Cozen Remixed. Okay, Steve? 
you can write me at beatlesexaminer at gmail.com and join my Beatles group, Beatles Inf- News and Information on Facebook. And as for me, Ken Michaels, my email address is everylittlething at att.net. And my website is kenmichaelsradio.com. As I always mention, there's weekly Beatles trivia on the website. Just recently I was giving away, and still I'm giving away, the double DVD disc of the four Beatles performances on The Ed Sullivan Show. And now I have a copy of the reissue of Derek Taylor's book, As Time Goes By, to give away. So be sure to check out the Beatles trivia and games page on my website, which again is at kenmichaelsradio.com. All right, this has been a lot of fun. Rogue Best was a delightful guest. So much interesting information, don't you think? Yes, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. So, for Steve Marinucci and Alan Cozen, and for Rogue Best, this is Ken Michaels thanking you all for listening, and we will see you next time. (laughs) 